0: right, how many of you are getting something out of the series so far? Okay, now I want you to turn with me today to not Revelation 5. We looked at it in the right hand of him, John says. I saw a throne and one sitting on the throne, and in his right hand was a scroll, a book, sealed with seven seals. And uh, we went through that, and look, we're still continuing. If you take that chapter, you're going to go into the whole Bible. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot. Can you believe we're on number five again already And he says, no one was worthy in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, the different realms. And he says, to take the book and open. Then one of the elders said, weep not. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. And then I looked and saw a lamb, the lamb slain. So when Jesus came to the cross, it was the lion roaring. And it's really interesting that the enemy, the devil, goes around like a lion. And he roars, but it's not the same. I like what Reinhard Bonker said. He said, if you go and look at the lion roaring, who is the devil? He says, you'll find a mouse with a loudspeaker. Yeah. Yeah. The, megaphone. the megaphone, said Reinhard Bonker. And so no one was worthy, but Jesus came. He was able to take the book and then open the seals. We saw that the sealing of the book was the revelation of God, the truth of God. You know, his plans and his purposes. He chose a man. And from a man came forth a nation, called a nation. And then the whole purpose of that nation was to bring forth the seed. And so one of the reasons why he chose them out and his instructions to them was to stay pure and not to intermarry was because the seed Jesus was to come, which is what he prophesied to Adam and Eve and to Eve when he said, you know, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head talking about this woman's seed. So the woman came. That's Revelation 12. You know, the woman. I saw another sign in heaven, a woman, the sun above, the moon underneath, stars overhead. That woman was Israel, and she was to bring forth the seed. So the whole purpose of Israel was to bring forth Christ. So God chose Israel, called them out with a powerful, with a mighty hand. He said, you are my treasured possession. I'm going to bring you out like with eagle's wings. In Hosea, he said he used Ephraim as a symbol of Israel. And he said, I was the one. I led you with cords of human kindness. I was the one that taught you to walk with fatherly love. But Israel kept turning away, kept turning away. And so Isaiah says, and then other prophets also said, how is it that the holy city has become a harlot? because she keeps turning away in unfaithfulness. So when we come to Revelation 17, 18, 19, and we see the downfall of Babylon, the harlot, that's Jerusalem, that's Israel. It was also the false prophet, because they were speaking falsely the things of God. That's why Jesus kept taking issue with them. And so they were part of the beast, the thing that makes up the beast, and that was the mingling of the Roman Empire. And so in Deuteronomy 32... When Moses stands up and he sings his farewell prophecy to Israel, he says, This is what God wanted to do with you. He wanted you to be the most special people. He wanted to reveal his glory through you, but you would not. You kept turning away. And so they were stubborn, they were hard-necked, they kept going off after other gods, they kept sacrificing to idols. And so in Matthew twenty-three, when Jesus was pronouncing the woes remember he said to the pharisees woe to you woe to you woe to you in Matthew 23 I think it's around verse 32 he said you have filled up the full measure of the sins of your fathers in other words you've done what they've done but you brought the measure of sin to its fullest because like John says in John chapter 1 he came to his own the Jews his own received him not He came into the world that he created. The world didn't recognize him, but they received him. But the Jews continue still today. They do not receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And so it's not that they could not see, it's that they would not see. They wouldn't. And so what Moses does in his prophecy, the whole tone of it changes about halfway through. And he says, all right, all the revelation, the truth that God was opening to you now is taken and sealed and hidden from your eyes. From now on, I'm going to speak to you in parables. When Jesus starts his ministry, he starts teaching in parables. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 8, I think it is, where he says, you know, I speak in parables. The amazing thing is, that when God sealed it up, it was sealed, it was sealed for centuries. So here they were, the nation that was to bring forth the seed. They didn't even know what their purpose was. And when the seed came, which was their purpose, they killed the seed. They killed the author of life, is what Peter said in Acts chapter 3. You killed the author of life, but this same Jesus that you killed, God has now made both Lord and Christ. And so this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that you see is from him. I'm enjoying myself. (laughs) I'm on a flow here. So, um, you know, he said it to the Jews. And so he pronounced the woes on them. It's Very interesting. In Isaiah 5, he says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, six times. In Matthew 23, seven times. Number of perfection, woe. And then in the book of Revelation, three woes are pronounced. So there you have it in the volume of the book. You can see the woes. So when Jesus came saying, woe to you, woe to you, what he was basically saying is that the judgment is about to fall. So now let's just backtrack. So here all the revelation is sealed up. So they can't see it. But a young man taken into Babylon, which God told them was going to happen, is in Babylon and he's reading the word, the prophets that he has. He finds Jeremiah 25, 29, and he reads them and he sees The captivity in Babylon is going to be 70 years. He starts to count and reckon, then, you know, time's nearly up. And he started to pray. He got understanding of it. And while he's praying, God sent Gabriel, the angel, to come and to open up the revelation to him. Why? Because he was inquiring and he was seeing. And then suddenly, like Moses could see right back to creation and write the book of Genesis 2,500 years later, Daniel is able to see the whole course of the history of his people. And God starts saying, 490 years from now. And that takes us actually about to A.D. twenty seven and um, around about the stoning of Stephen when the persecution of the church began because it was just complete rejection from Israel all the way through. So it takes us to about AD 27. So he says 490 years, 70 blocks of seven with one week of seven, and that one week of seven is the Messiah. Maybe sometime we'll go into it. I want to tell you that a lot of Bible teachers, what they teach is that the 69 weeks took us up to just before Jesus. But the seventh week they keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, so <laughs> they've postponed it it's more than two thousand years later, and Die is noch. you know it 's still you know you know and you know and all this kind of thing and, and now it's the mark of the beast and the antichrist, and so my thing is, go with the volume of the book, then the book will tell you okay, don't try and take scriptures you don't understand, and put it into the newspaper and current events. They've been doing that for years. They've been doing it for years, and they got it wrong. Got it wrong, got it wrong, got it wrong, got it wrong. People are still buying their books, still listening to them, and I think it's just because they like to be scared. That's what I think. I've ordered a book. I found somebody who agrees with me. There's a lot of people who agree. In fact, I agree with them. and They've written a book called The Triumphant Church. And they believe a lot of what I believe. I, mean, I believe in a triumphant church. I believe in the end we win. Is that right? I believe in the end the kingdom of God takes over. That's the vision of Daniel chapter 2. But anyway, I'm taking up a lot of time with of this. So you've got your Bibles. We just quickly went through Revelation 5. And so the seals begin to open. Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, he's opening the seals. The seals go to the trumpets. The trumpets go to the vials or the bowls or the plagues. And basically it was God's judgment. So when Jesus came, he came as the Son of Man, and his purpose was to take out the old system and bring in the new. Now at any time, if Israel had said, Jesus, we believe in you, you are the Messiah, everything would have changed. But they filled up their sins. Jesus said, let me tell you a parable of the vineyard. There was a landowner who had a vineyard. Isaiah 5. Israel is a fruitful vineyard on the side of a hill. He says, I put a wall around it. I put a wine press in it. There's a tower in it. Jesus says the same thing later. And um, here it is. The landlord in the vineyard. And he said they needed to bring their rent. And he sent laborer after laborer, and they killed him. And eventually the son said, well, if I go... I will listen, now he's saying it to the scribes and Pharisees. And he says, let me tell you a parable. And they're sitting in the game. I'm sure he's talking about us. I don't know what he's saying, but I'm sure we're going to have to kill him. You know? But eventually they did understand he was talking about them. He said, when the sun came, they killed him. So what do you think? He says to them, so what do you think God should do? What do you think the landowner should do? What do you think they should do? So in other words, the obvious is judgment. So because of the continuous rejection... The opening of the scroll in the hand of God was the revealing of Jesus. And it was great blessing for us as Gentiles, but it was judgment for them. He came as a thief in the night. And so for them it was judgment. But yet after his crucifixion, so the moment he died on the cross, that's when the horses started running. That's when the seals were open. That's when the trumpet started to blow. From a little bit before, but primarily on the cross. From there, you know, the plagues begin to fall. So it was on the people, it was on the city, and it was on the temple. Until it was fulfilled in Matthew 24, not one stone will remain on top of another. Because he doesn't want a building. It's what he said to Solomon. How can a building contain me? He says, I want to live in these living stones. This is my temple. So a physical building can't contain him. So listen, if you're donating, don't donate. If you donate to rebuilding the temple in Israel, you're wasting your money. The glory of God is not going to go back there. He came to take out the old to establish the new. And we are the new. All right. But his purpose was that his people would be containers of, reflectors of, revealers of, manifestors of his glory. Amen. So in Numbers 21, ah, let's just quickly go to Revelation 10. I just want to show you something. The reason why I was just standing in worship, and I felt to share this with you, because the power of symbolism, you've got to understand the book of Revelation. Otherwise, you're going to make it say a lot of rubbish, and normally it's going to be a whole lot of scary rubbish. Okay? But you have to know the whole Bible. You've got to find the prophecy and its mate. You've got to put the Scriptures together. You need to go to the volume of the book. So Revelation 10, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. Very interesting. I'm just going to just make comments as we go, and suddenly this passage is going to go, oh my word. Okay, so he was clothed with a cloud. It's quite interesting. When Jesus ascended, he ascended with a cloud. And he said, in like manner I will come. Not on the clouds. That was Daniel. Coming on the clouds was coming in judgment but coming with the clouds is a very different thing because he's coming with the cloud of witnesses, the saints, okay? So if this mighty angel coming down from heaven who's clothed with a cloud and a rainbow upon his head. It starts to speak of somebody. The angel just means messenger basically. So this messenger from heaven is Jesus. A rainbow was upon his head. Why a rainbow? There was a rainbow over the throne in Revelation chapter 4, but of course we know the rainbow after the flood of Noah. In other words, he's come, and there's a rainbow over his head. He's coming with all of the saints, but why a rainbow? Because he's redeemed a people after a judgment. And his face, as it were, as it were the sun. Now, he's the son of righteousness. This is the same face that Paul saw. Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. I saw one and his face was shining like the sun. must be Jesus. His feet as pillars of fire. Well, where have we read of pillars of fire or a pillar of fire before? It was in Exodus and Numbers when God was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. And so at night, pillars of fire. And so, yes, Jesus. So what is John trying to tell us? So, what is the Spirit trying to tell us? He has Jesus. He's bringing people out of a judgment or through a judgment or preserve them from a judgment with a rainbow. But he's leading them by his Spirit out because he's legs. He's taking them out. So this is another exodus. Okay? And he had in his hand a little book. Woo-woo. But it's open. The book is open. It's no longer sealed. The revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? And he had his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Remember I told you the seas, symbolic of nations, earth, symbolic of Israel. So what is he doing? There is now neither no more Jew nor Greek, Scythian, barbarian, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female in Christ. We are one. And so he's redeeming a people for himself out of all the earth, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so you got a parallel to Ezekiel chapter 3 where Ezekiel sees God holding out a scroll. It happened to me here in this church where an angel appeared to me and held out a thing like, it looked like a crusty little mini loaf here when I was here. And he said, eat it. Be sweet in your mouth and bitter in your stomach. The word of revival. Same experience, a year later in Toronto, Canada, where there was a great revival. Jesus came up to me, same thing happened, the angel gave me the bread. So, so it happened to Ezekiel, and the, the little loaf that he was to eat was a prophetic word, was to speak forth the word. And here's Jesus holding out a scroll, and he's saying, eat it. John, you're going to prophesy again to many people, nations, kings, tribes. It's interesting, I'm just throwing it in here. That in Revelation 19, verse 10, the angel says to John, The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So, the whole Old Testament, all the law, all the prophets, all of the Psalms, it's testifying to Jesus. But to the Jews, it was sealed. But now here's Jesus, he's been unsealed, he's been revealed. The mystery kept hidden for ages and generations is now made manifest. And here's Jesus saying, here's the scroll. Eat it. Here's my word. Here's my body broken for you. You need to speak my word. Wow. Wow. Is that good? I mean, you can feel when truth comes how the anointing comes and the atmosphere changes. We're not all sitting here going, good, 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 Yeah. So we go through all of the scriptures. Now, God had just sent through Moses 12 spies into the promised land, and they had to go and spy out the land, the land flowing with milk and honey, their inheritance, that which God had given them. And um, so they go in to get it. They go and look. Twelve go. Ten come back. And they go, there's giants there. And then two come and say, we can take them. With God, we can take him, Joshua and Caleb. But the people listen to the ten spies, and they go into unbelief. And they said to one another, and they were accusing Moses, and they said, you just bring us out here to die and yes. you know, to Aaron and all that kind of thing. You know, By now, God was up to you with them. Yeah. And in, uh, in Numbers 14, uh, you can read the story, and then God says to Moses, Moses, step aside. Just get out of my face. Let me obliterate these people. I will build another nation more powerful than them through you. Now, that was, if you were ever ambitious, that was a good opportunity, wasn't it? Step aside. Blitz them. You know, but Moses got in God's face and said, what about your reputation? And so God repented, and then he says this in Numbers 14, verse 21. He said, okay, I repent, I'll let them live. Then he says, nevertheless, it's surely... As I live, my glory shall fill all the earth. And so the whole thing, if we can bring it into the ceiling and ceiling, we can sum it up in a word. Everybody say it together. Glory. Glory. Say glory. glory. And so glory was the issue. We find it right away throughout the Old Testament. In Psalm 72 verse 19, it says this, And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth, be filled with his glory. Now that's what Israel was supposed to do, but they rebelled. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah's is looking and he sees these angels, you know, holy, holy, holy. And then they say, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen? So that's God's plan. They were stating it in Isaiah 11, verse 19. It says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. That's us. Is that okay? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, as far up and as far across, in other words, this earth is going to be saturated, filled, overrun, overtaken with glory. I like what Prophet Kurba said. Somebody said to him once, and he said, When will Jesus come? When will he appear? Not the rapture, but his appearance. When will he come? We don't believe in that. So when will he appear? And he said, the Bible says that he shall appear in glory. In other words, when the glory is all over the earth, he will appear in glory. So it's not so much a time thing, it's a revelation thing now. Is that okay? And so in Isaiah 40 verse 5, Isaiah says this, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Everyone say revealed. Now the word revealed comes from... From the word revelation. So when there's a revelation, it's revealed. Another way of saying it is manifest. It's manifest. So and the glory of the Lord shall be manifest, revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there is an outstanding day. There is a day coming when the whole earth is going to be full of the glory of God. And the Bible says, and every eye shall see it. All we've seen so far (laughs) is Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, what is the glory here? There's different ways of using the word glory. But what we're talking about here is the character, the nature, the essence of God himself. Is that okay? Glory. So the glory is who God is in himself. And it's his righteousness, it's his holiness, it's who he is. And so, glory that's the glory that we're talking about. But Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. You know this one. He talks about this salvation that is ours, this incredible salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1. He talks about that we're receiving it by faith. And the end of our faith is the salvation of our souls. He said, The Old Testament prophets with the Spirit of Christ in them, searched intensely to the particular time when they spoke to you about the grace that was to come. Now, when did the grace come? When Jesus came. Grace and truth, the Bible tells us, is when Jesus came. So they were looking to, when is the time of the Messiah, when the grace would come to people um, and to the Gentiles? And they said, basically, first what we can see prophetically is there's going to be sufferings, and then there's going to be glory. And so Jesus came as the suffering servant, died on the cross. So what are we expecting now? Glory. (laughs) Is that okay? So the whole earth is full of the glory. So all this thing about sealing, unsealing, sealing, and being unsealed, it's all about God saying, I want my glory to fill all of the earth. And these people wouldn't do it. But the thing is, it was never God's intention just for the Jews. What he had to do was to take it out. They were supposed to deliver the seed. Then when Messiah came, they would then step back as the chosen people. Then he would gather out of the nations and say, the chosen people now. No more that city, the city of the living God. No more that temple, this temple of the Holy Spirit. No more that priest and that priesthood, this priesthood under that priest. And so it was supposed to open out to the nations. So he declared the gospel to Abraham. And so the whole purpose was glory, 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 glory. So now we come to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing, and he's talking about the incredible grace of God. He talks about the administration of God, how God has administered it and engineered it for him to be called and saved. And he's given the task He got the revelation and he's given the task to make plain these truths to us. Mm. So in Colossians 1 verse 24, he says, um, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul went through a hard time to preach the gospel. And I fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Let me just quickly say this verse here is my motivation. Paul's motivation is my motivation. When I read this and I understood it, became my motivation. Paul is saying, the afflictions of Christ, what he suffered on the cross for, I'm still lacking in my physical body everything that he died to obtain for me. But I am pressing into Christ so much. I want to fill up in this flesh, in this body of John, of Paul. I want everything that Christ obtained for me on the cross so I can deliver to you for the sake of the church. Everybody say amen. Amen. Say, that's my purpose. All right. And so he says, Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. Underline dispensation of God. And uh, Paul tells us what it is. Which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. What was the dispensation of God? Basically, it's to bring all of heaven and earth together. Is that okay? To bring that which is true in heaven onto earth. That's the dispensation of God. And so he says... To fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, that which the Jews couldn't see, that which was hidden to Daniel and he to open, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, right from Deuteronomy 32, it was hidden. Yeah. And he says, but is now made manifest to the saints. What is this mystery, Paul? I'm glad you asked. Yeah. He tells us in the next verse, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, even amongst the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. Now I need to put some things on the board. So I'm going to just write a couple of things over here. God, I'm going to write spirit over here. And uh, down here, I'm going to write us. And over here, I'm going to write creation. Okay. We're going to go through a couple of verses, and I really trust that you get it. And uh, So he says, which is Christ in you, the hope. Everyone say, the hope. The hope of glory. So I'm going to write hope here. The hope of glory. Paul tells us, I think it's in Romans 8, that we were saved in hope. In other words, when you got born again, one of the things besides joy and love and peace that hit you, was another thing which is the bedrock of faith, and that thing is called hope. So Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I want to just... Quickly skirt around this, so we're holding that. Freeze that one over there Um, in Colossians 1 verse 24. Christ in you the hope of glory. So Paul now speaks about things in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about the fact that when Moses came off the mountain after speaking to God, because he was speaking to God face-to-face, by osmosis, (laughs) he picked up the glory. And literally, physically, his face was shining. And the Israelites couldn't see it. They couldn't look at it. It was like, wow, wow. But there was a problem with that glory. Because he was away from God, that glory would begin to fade. And Moses didn't want them to see a fading glory. One book says this, that he didn't want them to see the end of that glory. In other words, the reason it kept fading was because it was prophetic of the fact that one day that glory was not going to be around. And so he put a veil over his face so they wouldn't see. And then, when the glory faded, he could put the veil up, you know, and uh, then you'd go back and spend time with God, and you know, in the tent of meeting or on the mountain, and the glory would shine. And then you'd have to put it down again because the Israelites would just couldn't look at the glory, so it would physically shine out of Moses. And Paul sees in this real parable because he says Moses put down the veil; people couldn't see the glory. And that's symbolic of the whole of Israel. When they read their Torah, when they read the Old Testament, it's veiled. This veil is over their heart. They can't see the glory. They can't see it. They can't see it. But he said, but there's something that's happened to us. When we turned to him, the veil was taken away. And the Spirit is the Lord, and where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. So we're not on law and rules we're alive because of the Spirit. And he says, and then we now, with unveiled faces. So the veil is taken off. We behold in the face of Christ the glory of God. Yeah. Is that okay? So we see him face to face. So what is it now that God wants to share with us? He wants to share with us glory. There's a problem in that Isaiah, in two passages in Isaiah, I think one is 42 and the other one's 49, where God says, I will not share my glory. With another, but if you read the context, he's saying it will not be shared with people who go to idols. I'm choosing another group of people. With them, I'm reserving the glory. So in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays his high priestly prayer, right at the end, he said, "Father, you know, just glorify me with the glory that we had once before." And then he says, "He says, I've given them your word, and I've given them your name. I've given them your word." And then he says about us, Father, I have given them the glory. What did he give them? The glory. And he says, the glory that we shed. And the reason why I'm giving them this glory is that they may be one with you, even as you and I are one. Is that okay? So, in other words, he puts his nature in us. Is that good? Now, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Can I share some good news with you? Yes. There's a sense in which you got it all, but you didn't get it all. True. Christ in you is the hope. You don't hope for what you see and what you have. True. You hope for what you don't have and yes. don't see. So Christ in you is the hope. So, Pastor John, are you telling me that there's no glory in me? No, I'm not telling you that. I'm saying there is glory in you. But there's something else still to be revealed. So Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Jesus said, I've given them the glory. So are you following me? So let's have a quick look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. In the past, in many and various ways, God spoke to our forefathers. This is the NIV translation. God spoke to our forefathers in many and various ways. There were little Revelations, sections of revelations, spread out over time. Revelation, nothing. Revelation, nothing. Revelation, nothing. 400 years quiet, then Daniel's prophecy bridging the gap, and then comes. Well, but in these last days, verse 2 tells us, spoken unto us by his Son. In other words, he raised up prophets, and he spoke to the forefathers. Prophets. In these last days, He sends His Son, the greatest prophet, yeah. who can reveal the Father. Whom He hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom He also made the worlds. Verse 3, and then after having, who, who being the brightness of His glory. Yeah. The radiance of His glory, the brightness of His glory. So Jesus is what? The brightness of of his glory. One says the outraying of his glory. One translation. Upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And uh, now he's bringing everything subject to himself. So who is Jesus? The brightness of his glory. So when you accept Christ, what is inside of you? Bright glory. Is that okay? But the hope of the full thing. All right. So I don't want to go into it all. Is everybody following me still? we're going to tie up all the sealing and the unsealing now. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. But without controversy, the mystery of godliness is great. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesus was the mystery kept hidden for ages and generations. It's called the mystery of God in Revelation 10. It's the mystery of godliness. So what is it that was unveiled? When Jesus was unveiled, godliness was unveiled. So what was it? God First point, 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifest in the flesh. Everybody say, God was manifest? In the flesh. So is God manifest now? In the flesh. Paul tells us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Okay. So it says He was manifest in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen of angels. The first time angels saw God was when He was manifest in the flesh. At the birth of Jesus, that's why they sang glory to God in the highest on earth, peace and goodwill to all men. Because they suddenly looked and saw, ah, this is what God looks like. That's why they rejoice when one sinner comes home because they sing another, you know, God made manifest in flesh person. Is that okay? And the Bible tells us in First Peter chapter 1, angels long to look into these things. They were going like all excited. woo Another one, God made manifest in the flesh. So what is the spirit of the Antichrist? The spirit of the Antichrist is opposed to Christ being in the flesh. 1 John 4. And so the mystery of God is seen of angels, preached amongst the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. If you want to know how high this glory is that is in you, Psalm 8 tells us he has set his glory above the heavens. And then it goes on. What is man that you are mindful of him? You have crowned him with glory and honor, and put all things on His feet. Man, this glory puts you somewhere. It raises you up. Come on, you're not just this insignificant, you know, little, weak, wussy Christian that the devil would like to tell you are. You contain treasure in an earthen vessel. You are powerful. You are God made manifest in the flesh. You are right in the place that God wants you to be, the center of His purpose. And so, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, And in verse 6, Paul says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Moses, you will not look at my face. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. John, you got saved now. You can look at my face, face to face with God. What happens? Then I with open face start to reflect his glory. So when God spoke in original creation, there was darkness. So out of darkness, he spoke, let there be light. And his light shone into this creation. When you and I were empty void and darkness was on this deep here, and I believed in Jesus, God shone his light. The night of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Christ, I saw God. And now, in your and my face, the world sees Jesus and the Father. Amen? So, and we have this glory in earthen vessels. vessels. All right, so we've got some verses there. And then I'm going to connect it back very quickly. You're going to follow me quick? You're all with me? So let's go to Romans chapter 8. And then we're going to have a look at verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the what? Glory. With the glory which what? shall be revealed, made manifest in us. In other words, Paul is saying, there's something coming to us that hasn't happened yet in context with the glory covering all of the earth. He says this glory is going to be revealed in us. Verse 19. Then he says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. So the earnest expectation of creation. So there is all of creation. It has an earnest expectation. All of creation, in earnest expectation, is waiting for something. What is it waiting for? The manifestation of the sons of God. What other words could we use when this glory is revealed in us? Why is creation waiting in earnest anticipation with bated breath, with deep passionate longing? Because just like when Noah built the ark and salvation came, Creation was saved with it. And creation knows that its bondage to decay, its liberation from the bondage to the effects of sin, is directly connected to us. And that is the revealing of this glory in us. At the moment, it's just hope. It is a hope, but it's a real hope. And so creation is waiting in earnest expectation. Verse 20. For the creature was made subject, creation was made subject to vanity, frustration, not willingly, but by reason, of him who subjected the same in hope. So God subjected creation, but left a remnant of hope in creation and in us that something was going to happen. I don't know if you've ever wondered, and if you've ever felt this, I have, that sometimes The more I know of this word, the more frustrating becomes my Christian walk. Who can say amen? It's like, Jesus, where's the glory? You know? Or maybe we'll connect it just now. But that's the vanity. That's the frustration because even creation is in frustration. I believe that's why we're seeing the earthquakes and all of those things. It's the birth pangs of this planet going, we are the sons of God. Because the moment you revealed, I'm liberated. Amen. The creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him, is subject to the same, in the hope, verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Woo! Hallelujah. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain and together until now. I've already said that. Verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also we have the first fruits of the spirit so i've put the hope and over here i'm going to put the spirit i know i put the spirit there but this is the spirit within us now and the spirit within us is the first fruits if you're clever and i know you are you know if it's only the first fruits the rest of the fruits <laughs> the rest of the fruits are coming okay the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown within ourselves, okay? Waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our bodies, okay? So, everybody watching, so there's the hope. We were saved in hope. What happened? We received the glory, but that glory is a glory of hope. Now we receive the Spirit, but that Spirit is the first fruits, and what we are waiting is our adoption. And he says, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption. So I'm going to write their redemption. Okay? I'm going to put it all together now. And then you're going to go, oh my goodness, I see the purpose and the plan of God. Wow. The redemption of our bodies. The book of Romans chapter 8. Glorious passage of Scripture. Those whom He foreknew, He chose. Those whom He chose, He predestined. Those whom He predestined, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. Yeah. If all this be true and if God is for us, who can be against them? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Chose us to be conformed to the very image of His Son, Jesus. That's the purpose and the plan. Yeah. Okay? And so He says we're born again with this hope in us. Then to establish that hope, He puts the Spirit in us. And that spirit is the first fruits, the pledge. It is the earnest. I'm going to read some verses now, and you're going to go, oh, my word, I never saw that before. The first fruits, the pledge, the earnest, the deposit or down payment of our adoption. And that adoption is to be placed as fully matured sons which is the redemption of our bodies. So when you're born again, your spirit gets born again. We're in a process where the mind is being renewed. But this full adoption is when your body is redeemed, no longer subject to death. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I tell you a mystery. Here's another mystery that's going to be opened with the mystery of the kingdom, with the mystery of godliness, is we will not all die, but we will all be changed. Okay? So he gives us the Spirit, who is the first fruits, the pledge, the earnest, the deposit, guaranteeing what? Our full adoption, the full redemption, which is the full manifestation, the full revelation of the glory. So Paul shows us this in Romans chapter 8. He says... There's the spirit, okay? So he says, now, yes, creation. Creation is groaning in travail. That's the most primal level of prayer. We are the sons of God. God, let the sons of God be manifest. He says, but not only that, but we ourselves, us, because of this frustration, this vanity, but yet there's a hope. And it just sometimes brings a conflict. We ourselves, with words that we cannot express, are groaning deeply inside, saying, reveal, manifest, where's the full glory? The redemption of our bodies. Now the prayer starts to take on shape. But then he says, but not only that, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. That we should come into the full revelation, the full redemption, the full everything. Woo, Amen. And so verse 24 says this. For we are saved by hope, but the hope that is seen is not hope. I mentioned that. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? Verse 25. He says, but if we hope for that we see, then we do with patience, wait for it, because it's coming. Verse 26. And that's when he says, likewise, the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness in our vanity in our frustration that's why sometimes you don't know what's going on with yourself you don't know what's happening but inside all you can do is go because the spirit himself is making intercession saying god i'm joining with creation's longing i'm joining with john's longing manifest reveal the full glory that's a good place to say amen amen very quickly very very quickly Ephesians 1, 10 to 14, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In other words, the saints who've gone ahead of us, the church in heaven and the church together are going to be united. Paul tells us it's only together with us that they reach perfection. Okay? And so he says this, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance. So this adoption, this redemption, is also our inheritance. It's yours by right. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be, and that's why I put God up here, that we, us, with all of this happening, we should be for the praise of his glory. Because he will be glorified when everyone sees the finished product, the glory in us. We should be for the praise of His glory, first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So when you got saved, you were sealed. You were sealed. You were sealed by the Spirit. Okay, now there's two aspects to the sealing, three aspects to the sealing. First, you were sealed so that that which is inside of you is protected. Secondly, you're sealed because the seal identifies you as the genuine one, the definite right article. Is that okay? The original. So when you received the Holy Spirit, he put a seal on you and said, you're genuine. So next time the devil goes, ah, you false, fake, hypocrite, you, this... You know, if there's any truth to it, say sorry to Jesus. Clear your conscience. But then stand there and go, Just show him the seal. The genuine item. Is that okay? Sealed. But there's another aspect. That is, that there's an element of mystery about you. Still a mystery. I'll give you a verse now. Is that okay? 1 John 3. I'll give you that mystery now. I'll give you that verse now. He says, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. unto the praise of His glory. Come on. I mean, this is powerful stuff. There it is. It's all visual. This is powerful, isn't it? And so the guarantee, the guarantee, this word hope is a little bit stronger than wish. In fact, quite a bit stronger. It's more like Guarantee. So the Spirit in you is the guarantee and your sealing that you will be adopted and redeemed and receive a full inheritance, placed as fully matured sons. In Revelation chapter 7, we looked at it when the seals were open. I'm just going to quote some verses now to end. In Revelation 7, we saw Revelation 5 in the right hand of him. Six, the seals beginning open, the horses riding. Chapter 7, horses are riding, judgment has come. An angel says to the four winds at the four corners of the earth. Four winds are the winds of judgment. The four corners of the earth is Israel. And says to the angels, hurt not, nor of the sea. Hurt not anyone until they receive the seal of God. Okay? Don't hurt them. First got to receive the seal. Remember we looked at last week, the seal on the forehead, the seal on the hand. His name here, his name here. That's why in John 17 he said, Father, I've given them your name. Why did he give them the name Father? Because that would mean they are now sons. <laughs> it's logical. And so, so that was the name on the forehead. So the glory is the character. Is that okay? Yeah. That they might be one with you, united with God. We are joined. We are partakers of the divine nature. Yeah. I know I'm saying a lot, but it's okay. Um, you're clever. Revelation 7, hurt not until the seal of God has put them. And then the seal, and there's a representative number, 144,000, just, which just means the whole group of people that God has called and saved. Yeah. Is that okay? So they were sealed. Yeah. Sealed. Yeah. Please read for me Philippians 1, verse 20. I think it's 1, verse 23, verse 21. Paul talks about the fact that these vile bodies will be changed into his glorious body. And uh, Philippians 1 talks about the hope again and the earnest of the Spirit. But I just want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. No, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, Paul says this. He says, now it is God who has established us in Christ. Set us firm, he's established us in Christ. And then he talks about the fact that He's anointed us. He set His seal of ownership on us, and then His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That's the NIV translation. So He anointed us, put His Spirit upon us, put His seal of ownership upon us, and He gave His Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. King James says He gave us the earnest of the Spirit. So those are the things that he's done for us, yet he's sealed upon us. So that matches Revelation chapter 7 when he says, hurt not till they be all sealed. So we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So there's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, but then there's also the authenticity and the fact that, that we belong to God. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a powerful passage of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this, this earthly Tabernacle. If it is dismantled, there's another heavenly tabernacle. Not made by human hands, basically. In other words, not fleshly. And he said, all of us have a desire not to be unclothed of this tabernacle. In other words, no one wants to die. But our deepest longing is to be clothed upon with our heavenly. For homework, go and read 2 Corinthians 5, yeah. verses 1 to 5 and 6. And he says, we long to be clothed upon. However, he said, if it's taken down, I will get another one. Yeah. But that's not what I want. And he says in Second Corinthians 5, verse 5, there it is. Now, he that hath wrought us for the south, same thing is God, who has also given us the earnest of the Spirit. So he's saying, not even God wants you to die. The whole purpose of Him giving you the Spirit is the guarantee of what is to come. Yeah. Okay, couple of verses, a couple of verses. You ready? 1 John chapter 3, in verse 1. John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Yeah. And that is what we are, he says. Yes. And then he says, the reason the world does not know us is it does not know him. But there's a time coming when all flesh (laughs) shall see the glory of God. Because the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. If you were writing down the glory scriptures, I didn't get to Habakkuk 2.14 because it says the same as Isaiah. That the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So he says, what we will be, has not yet been made manifest. Because he says, Behold, what man of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. He hasn't been revealed, and we haven't been revealed either. But we know this. We know this. That when he shall appear, we shall appear with him. What does the rest of the verse say? In glory. (laughs) We shall appear with Him in glory. There is coming an appearance of Christ, not a rapture, an appearance of Christ. When we shall appear with Him in glory. And John says, for when we see Him, we will be like Him. Is that okay? So when He's made manifest, We'll be finally transformed, receive the full adoption, the redemption, our full inheritance, placed as fully matured sons, the whole earth filled with His glory. So that's one John chapter three, verse one. I'll give you one more verse. Colossians chapter three verses one to three. My favorite verses. It says, "Since then you died with Christ. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your hearts, your mind, and your affections. Set your affections on things above. It doesn't mean that you walk around going, okay, I'm imagining I'm going through a hard time. You know, it's Monday and it's tough. It's not a wrong thing to do. It's a good thing to do, but understand what you're saying. Okay, I'm imagining, oh, it's really tough and, you know... I've had my second cup of coffee and I still haven't come alive, and my brain's not good. And the boss has shouted at me six times already, and I've only been here two minutes, and and whatever. And it's one of those bad days. Okay, I'm just going to imagine. I'm going to imagine I'm seated at the right hand of the, the Father in heaven. I'm going to try and put my heart there, but everything in your heart's going. Oh, I feel like a failure today. I feel terrible. But when he says, "Set your mind and your hearts above us," understand where you are seated. Understand that you are seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Amen. You are seated in the heavenly realms in a place of authority and power and dominion. Understand, then you can imagine where I'm seated. Woo, woo, woo! I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So he says, set your heart, set your mind on things above. He says, for your life, when you died, when you were put into Christ, he said, for your life is now hid with Christ in God. Your life is now hid with Christ in God. And he said, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And he says, now when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then you shall appear, be made manifest with him in what? In glory. Full redemption, full inheritance. So here's the angel in Revelation chapter 10. The mighty angel is Jesus. He's holding out a scroll. He says to John, Come and eat it. He goes over and takes it and eats it it's sweet in his mouth, bitter in his stomach, because there's a frustration. He says, But you need to speak the word. You need to speak the mysteries of Christ. You need to prophesy because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. He eats its bitter in his mouth, but you know the rest of the story is that he speaks the word. So Paul says in First Corinthians chapter three, he says this I want you to know that we don't need letters of commendation about our ministry. He said, all I've got to do is point to you. You're my letter proving the authenticity of my ministry. Because something is written on you and in you. Not heart, stony hearts that are finger engraved of the Lord. No, no, no. He says, but on flesh hearts. There is a new covenant written. There's something new written. Not by ink. Or by finger engraving, he says, but by the Spirit. He says, now you are known and read of all. You are living epistles of God. You are open letters, revealed letters that other people can read. You are unsealed, becoming even more unsealed, filled with the glory, moving from the hope of glory to the full glory. And that is what creation is waiting for. The creation is waiting for you. And for me, unsealed. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. You are subject to vanity. A lot of people come to me and say, Pastor John, this stuff is so good. It's true. I'm reading it. It's like, oh, Jesus, when? When? And there's a frustration. But understand that frustration, God doesn't give to frustrate you. He gives to motivate you. Is that All right. That frustration is a gift pushing you on and saying, I reach for it like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, not that I've already attained it, but I forget everything past for the surpassing knowledge of gaining him. That I may somehow, even while in the flesh, attain to the resurrection in the physical body. (laughs) Did you get something? I'm so glad three of you got something. (laughs) <laughs> How many of you are a bit overwhelmed? There was a bit of a lot of knowledge and information. Read those passages. You'll see they'll come alive. Because you read them and you don't know what Paul is saying. You read them and you don't know what John's saying. You read it and you don't know what Peter's saying. You're like, what is this? Everything is put together. This is the story of glory. And you're it. Amen. Come on, just raise your hands to the Lord. And thank God for this incredible salvation. Not that we've already obtained it, Paul says, but forgetting everything behind. Every failure, forgetting every success, forgetting every degree of education. There's only one thing, one thing that is going to take you into it, and that is the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ, the excellency of knowing Christ himself. I just want you to engage with God a bit. I know it's overwhelming, but it's like, you know, the more I teach this, the I can understand why David would say, restore unto me the joy of that salvation. You know, nowadays when people get baptized, I want to get baptized again because I go like, oh my God, this is so glorious, this is so powerful. When I got baptized, I didn't even know all of this stuff. This is amazing. Amen? Come on, I just want you to stand and engage with the Lord and forget the frustrations. God, when's it going to happen? I know sometimes we get disappointed with ourselves and say, I I failed. But just pick yourself up again and just keep pressing on into His presence. The surpassing, surpassing excellent knowledge of knowing Him. Uh, Unto Him who is able to present you faultless before His throne and to keep you from falling. The one who sanctifies your whole spirit, soul, and body. To Him be glory forever throughout all generations in the church. And may that incredible grace of God and the wonderful love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sweet communion, precious fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours now and forever. Tell the revealing and tell the manifestation, till we see Him face to face, till we appear with Him in glory. Be blessed, be at peace, be prosperous, be joyful, be successful. In Jesus' name. Love you all. Amen.